Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Uh, We are in Ephesians, so if you want to turn there, uh, most of you probably knew that already. We're in chapter 4. I was going to teach 1 through 6 last week, and that didn't work out. Um, so I got through like the first five words of chapter of verse 1, but I feel like it went pretty good. I feel like, you know, we say, Lord, we just submit this time to you, and I feel like we did, and he showed up and gave us an important word about lordship, about how we can't do anything if we're not willing to say yes first. We can't expect God to show up for us if we're not causing him to be Lord in our life, if we don't submit our life to him. Amen? And that means my rights don't matter, but his will matters. His desire matters. His intent, his plan for our life matters. I don't want to re-preach that sermon, although I feel like I could and all of us would be good for it. Um, But I I, I want to continue. I, I ended last week with a question And that question is, how submissive are you to the Lordship of Christ? And I ask you to take that home and sit on it for a couple of days. And I hope that you've done that. And if you have found yourself lacking, I hope, my prayer is, that you begin to pray, Lord, show me what that Lordship looks like. Show me where I'm not walking appropriately according to your word, that I'm not living the life that you died so that I could live. I'm not saying yes. When you say I should say yes or saying no in the areas, I should be saying no. That's my hope from last week, is that we just understand lordship. Because Paul talked about lordship. He said, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, which means that he recognized that he was a prisoner of the Lord, that God first above all things, Christ Jesus, who gives us access to us, access to God above all else. Amen? This week, I want to actually teach, hopefully, the rest of it. And what I've titled, Unity of the Spirit, but may may more appropriately be titled, Walk Worthy, which is only possible when we're unified in the Spirit. Walk Worthy. Paul says in verse 1, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. God, that's heavy, right? I can remember a song in the early, I can't remember if it was early 2000s, late 90s, called Walk a Little Straighter, Daddy. You guys ever hear that country song? It's talking about this kid who's trying to follow after his dad, but his dad is a drinker. And every time his dad stumbles, he stumbles because he thinks that's what he should be doing because that's the model that he's been given. And I think that's, that's how we do. We, we walk according to the pattern set before us in our, in our real life. That's, that's what we do. I, you walk according to the example you've been given. I can remember, and all of us have had good examples and bad examples. My good example was my papa. I prefer not to talk about my bad examples. But my good example was my papa. My papa taught me when I was young what a man looked like what an honorable man looked like. 
He didn't teach me about God. I think I wish he would have, but he came to know Jesus before he passed. <clears throat> but I remember my mother said something to me, and it, the first time I heard it, I was, I was a little offended. She said, and this is the best I can remember the quote, because she hears me brag about my papa all the time. You guys have heard me talk about my papa all the time. And she said, you must have known a different man than I knew. And it, I, I, quite honestly, that made me a little angry because it seemed defaming to me. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, man, that's right. I do know a different, I did know a different man than she knew. Because he walked differently in my life than he walked in her life. Amen? My hope is that my kids say the same thing to my grandkids. You don't know the man that I know. You must have watched a different walk than I walked. Even though my kids have seen me be a Christian, walk out a Christian, I hope I'm more Christian in the eyes of my grandson because I have become more Christ-like in the eyes of my grandson. So even if they say, man, your daddy, your granddaddy was a good guy, I still hope they can say, you knew a different guy than I knew. Amen? Because all of us should strive to do what Paul says here. Make Christ Lord, and in making him Lord, walk worthy according to our calling. Be the example that you see in Christ Jesus, is essentially what he's saying. You were called to Christ-likeness out of the darkness that you were in. Walk according to the model you've been given. And all of our models should be looking different all the time. I'm not the same Christian I was last year. I'm not the same Christian I was two weeks ago. Because fruits of the Spirit grow in us. Amen? And so, how is that possible? Is really the question we're going to ask today and answer, I hope. How is walking worthy of your calling possible? It's possible by the unity of the Spirit. As we become unified with the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God shows us and forms us in regard to how we should walk and how we should act and how we should talk and how we should do all the things so that we are honoring the sacrifice of Christ in our own lives the way we should. Amen? And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about unity of the Spirit. But first, I want to talk, and I'm, so, so let me read this text. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. I told you last week he implored because that's all he could do. I beg of you because he can't make you. It's only by the Holy Spirit that we do the things I'm about to talk about. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. And anytime we see a list in Scripture, man, we want to read through that list as fast as we can without thinking about it. My hope is to slow this list down. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who is all of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Anytime you want to determine what the author is talking about, look for repetitive words. And so when he repeats over and over and over, unity, one, 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 guess what he's trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that we should be the same. 
because the same Spirit lives in each of us. Jesus Christ died and then sent His Spirit so that we might be unified by that Spirit. I talk about unity all the time because I think lack of unity, I don't think, I know, lack of unified behavior in the church is destroying the church. I can't tell you how many people come to this church and now they might go on to the next church and say the same thing I pray not, but they say, I left the other church because I was church hurt, which means someone said something offensive. Somebody did something offensive. Someone didn't love them well. Something didn't happen the way that they thought it should happen. And so they left and they were offended because they didn't understand the necessity of unity and what it takes to create unity. And so Paul talks about, listen, I want to tell you about what it takes to be one. And he starts with us. Before he starts talking about the church, he starts with us individually. Because you know I can't solve a problem if I don't solve first the six-foot problem around me. And so he gives five characteristics in verses, starting in verse 2, five characteristics five individual characteristics of unity. They are humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and all of it wrapped in love. So what does that look like and what does that mean? First he says, walk in humility. Now I need you to understand that these are all necessary to ensure that we are one. All of these things say I'm not going to care about my own offense over loving you. I'm not going to set you aside because you hurt my feelings. I'm going to give up my rights so that your rights might be established. I'm going to not be heard so that you can be heard. The greatest thing destroying the church is our willingness to take offense. But if I'm humble, if I'm gentle, if I'm patient, tolerant, and all of those things wrapped in love, then the probability of me taking an offense or sending or receiving an offense is significantly lowered. And so I want you to hear the weight of what I'm saying. He says, first, walk in humility. What does that mean? It means have a proper self-assessment. You ain't that big a deal. Oh, you don't know me. I am a big deal. Except we're not. I don't care what position you've risen to. I don't care how popular you are. I don't care what you do for a living. You're not that big a deal. You have to be humble because a humble person acknowledges there's only one real need in unity, and that is service. Unity starts with service that can only happen in humility. If I'm willing to serve you, give up my own rights so that you might be served well, it's going to require that I be humble to do that. People ask me, or I've had, the, so there's a guy that came here, and he started with us, stayed, didn't stay long because he, he wanted to be the youth pastor. And he said, man, I really feel called to kids, and he gave me this reason why he was called to kids or to youth, and I told him, I said, so I'll tell you what, I said, if you can, keep the toilet clean for six, I can't remember if I said six weeks or three months. Either way, if you can keep the toilet clean for that long, we'll talk about this. And he didn't come back the next week. 
and I haven't seen him since then in this building. You know why? Because he wasn't humble enough to recognize that his position was to serve, not be served. Our responsibility in maintaining unity is to be like Jesus, was recognizing that in our humility and a proper assessment of ourselves, we have to become less so that someone else can become greater. Amen? Jesus exampled this for us. I'm going to I didn't mark these, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up. Mark 10, 45 reads like this. For even the Son of Man, that is Christ Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Y'all get that? Jesus didn't come here haughty. He didn't come here arrogant. He came here and minimized himself so that we could become greater. It's our responsibility to be humble enough to do the same. Never going to have unity in the church if we're not willing to do the same. John 13, 3 through 7, reads like this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Hear the weight of that sentence. Knowing who he was. Fully knowing who he was. Got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. We have to be humble enough to serve others. Pride destroys. It's the genesis of all sin. Did you know that? If we could start with humility, everything else is easy. Because humility is so hard. You know how hard it is? And this is going to sound crazy, I guess. You know how hard it is to stand up here week in, week out, People coming up to you and saying, man, that was a great sermon. You did a great job. We love you. You're awesome. And I hear these kinds of things. You know how hard it is to hear those things and still maintain a position of humility? But you know how important it is? I can't do anything else if I don't. For a man that walks up prideful will leave humble. A man that walks up humble will leave with confidence. But that's a confidence given by God, not by y'all. As much as I appreciate the compliments, and I appreciate it, We have to be in a place to be humble so we can submit, so that we can serve well. And the heart of everything we do individually starts in humility and service. Because pride is the genesis of all sin. It means that's where all sin started. And I'm not talking about just scripturally, Satan rebelled in his pride, sin started. I mean, every sin that you commit is your pride saying, I know better than God. I don't care how big or how small it is. Every sin that you commit against God or people, which is to say against God, starts with your recognition or at least acceptance that your opinion matters more. That's a dangerous place to be. So Paul says, First, before we do anything, walk in humility. Recognize that you've been called to be humble so that you can serve, so that you can be like Jesus. 
how much different would our church look? How much different would the world look if all of us recognize that our primary objective is to mirror Christ and in Christ his service? You know what we'd be? We'd be gentle. We'd be all these other things. We would have such gentleness that even if we had the the right to establish power over someone else, we wouldn't. Even if we had the strength to dominate others, we'd be gentle enough not to. This is the example that Jesus gave us. You know, he hung from the cross, but he has authority over all the heavens and all the earth. He is the word that spoke all things into existence, which means that he had at his disposal every angel in heaven. And according to Scripture, one angel was capable of killing 185,000 armed soldiers. But he didn't use it. It's power under control. It's a recognition that you matter more than the discomfort that I'm enduring. So I'm humble. And then I recognize that even if I have the right to, even if I have the power to, even if I have the authority to, I'm going to be gentle enough to love you anyway. I'm not going to exhibit or really push my authority on you. But, but instead, I'm going to control that which I have a right to so that you can know what I know. That's good. That's good right there. In gentleness... We walk in patience. Y'all know anybody that's aggravating? Why y'all all look at me? <laughs> My wife would be all. And she's right. But we've been called to be patient because people may not know what you know. Not everybody's at the same spiritual level you're at. A person that just came to the Lord, be patient with them. They're on the same ladder you're on. They're just on the second step. You might be on the 15th step. Have patience with them. Take the time to explain them, to explain what's going on to them. Don't lose heart with them. Don't grow weary in doing good with them. Be patient. I'm talking about this stuff only because Paul's talking about it in regard to unity. We're humble, and in our humility, gentle. And because we're gentle, patient, which means long-suffering. There are people everywhere that you need to be long-suffering with. Like they just, it's like they're trying to see how long-suffering you are on purpose. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you did you do that on purpose? just to make sure that I'm walking according to my calling because you're doing a great job. But we've been still been called to it. We're responsible for it. But not only patient, tolerant. My pastor used to say this, and I used to give him a hearty hand clap of praise. Tolerance is a virtue, is a virtue of a man with no conviction. I may have even said that myself. And then I've realized recently that's not true. Tolerance is not a virtue of man with no conviction. 
Tolerance is a virtue of a man willing to minimize himself enough to hear the heart of someone else so that he might have an opportunity to tell him about his conviction. How are we going to have have audience with people if we're intolerant of them? You're all, man, you talked talked to that Muslim like you, you had coffee with a Muslim. How will they know unless someone tells them? You know what? That person you asked me to have dinner with that was sleeping around on his wife, he's going to the same hell that Muslim's going to, but you want me to have dinner with him. It's not that I don't have a conviction against sleeping around. I do. But sometimes you have to give an ear to someone to get their point of view so that you can then counter that with your worldview, which is according to Scripture, which is your conviction. What am I saying? I'm saying, take the time to love one another. Take the time to be patient. Take the time to be gentle. Take the time to do what God has called us to do. And individually, we grow. And all of it wrapped in love. Without love is the motivation for humility. Without it is the motivation for patience and tolerance and gentleness. You might as well just sit down and be quiet. You know, I'm going to be humble today, just show you how humble I am. I'm going to be tolerant today, just so I had to punch you in the mouth. You need to be humble because you love. You need to be tolerant because you love. First, Christ Jesus and what he's done for you, and others because of what he's done for you. What am I talking about? I'm talking about five characteristics of unity. These are individual responsibilities. Because let me tell you, if we don't love well, we can't do anything else well. People deserve to be loved. The world is dying for someone to love them. A person who is gentle and humble and patient and all of those things is absolutely unoffendable. How offended are you? How offended can you get? How fast can you get offended? I tell you, if you can get offended easily, you're not humble, you're not patient, you're not gentle, you're none of those things. Because a humble person recognizes that offense wasn't on purpose and then has the fortitude maybe to go have a conversation with that individual and tolerance so that you can see their perspective. Why are you looking at me crazy? Oh, why are you laughing? All right, never mind. It's not about me, though, right? Like, you're all, he's talking out of his head. All right, we're good. She didn't say no, so I'm a little bit freaked out. Y'all, just so you know, she's the barometer in the room for me. If she's looking at me crazy, I'm all, whoa, did I say something crazy? Oh. Well, you need to work on your humility. I've been telling you that for years. Yeah. Pastor Leonard, we're going to have to get a hotel room and maybe we'll share the same doghouse today. But we've been called to be unoffendable. Because offense happens when 
when we're, we're willing to say they don't deserve my gentleness. They don't deserve my humility. They don't deserve my patience. That's where offense happens. And I say, woe to the Christian who thinks such a thing. Do we really want to make they deserve the measurement by which we offer these things? Because to do that would be asking God to use the same measurement in regard to us. Walk in unity individually. Don't be offended. Christ came humble to serve and was willing to put down an offense. Do you know he saved and died for the same people that killed him? And I get phone calls that say, I'm not coming back to the church because so-and-so looked at me crazy. I tried to have a conversation with them and they wouldn't talk to me. Jesus died a horrific death on a cross for the people that placed him there and nailed him there, loved them, was humble enough to serve them, and makes intercession for them, and we can't, we can't love each other. We can do better. Amen? But we can only do better by the Spirit. Because you guys ever tried to discipline yourself into humility or kindness or gentleness? You're all, you ever try to discipline yourself into anything that requires self-control? I'm horrible at that. I'm gonna, how many times have we started working out this year? A lot, like 30. Problem is, we never actually did it. Well, I'm going to get up in the morning, man. We're going to go run. We're going to work out. It's going to be awesome. Wake up, have a lot of energy. Start looking good in my shirts again instead of whatever this is. But then morning rolls around. And it doesn't happen. Amen? <laughs> My whole point there is you can't, you can't discipline yourself into things that require self-control of this because those things require the Holy Spirit. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. I'm not capable of unity. I'm not capable of humility. Did you know if I received the compliments that I received, but didn't recognize it was God in me, not me, how puffed up I'd be. How big, like my head, I'd fall over all the time. My head would be so big. Come on, Pastor Rick, you can come in here with an amen. Right. Just so y'all know, Pastor Rick's single piece of advice, should he only ever be able to give me one, is stay humble. Because that is where I struggle. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have the ability to do such a thing. So we've solved a six-foot problem in us or around us. And then he lists seven congregational characteristics of unity. So there's five individual characteristics, things we have to foster in ourselves, And then there's seven characteristics of church unity, congregational unity, things that cause us to be able to say, okay, we're going to be unified with one another. And I will tell you, if you go to a church, if you belong to a small group, if you do anything, sit under anybody's teaching or sit congregationally anywhere, anywhere, that they're willing to compromise any of these things, you can't have unity. People think unity is the golden chalice, the thing we're reaching for. It's not. 
Jesus came to separate. There's those who are light and those who are dark. And the light can't have unity with darkness. If you say, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in these three other gods, you don't believe in Jesus, we can't be unified. We're not the same. If you say, I believe in the inerrant word of God, and then you're willing to compromise that at the altar of culture, we're not the same. We can't be unified. Well, they said Jesus in their service. Muslims do too. They believe Jesus really existed. But they're still going to hell if they don't confess Jesus Christ as the single Lord. So we know what it takes to be individually unified because we've just talked about it. But then he says, now, recognizing what it is to be individually unified, I need you to understand the necessities, the requirements, the characteristics of congregational unity. And he says this, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. One body. There's one body of believers. I could go on and on about this, but Paul in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is pretty specific to say, we are all together members of the body of what? Christ. If you're not a member of the body of Christ, which means you've declared Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, we can't be unified. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to unmuddy some waters. I want to make it crystal clear who I'm willing to stand toe-to-toe with versus who I'm willing to stand shoulder-to-shoulder with. Does everybody understand what I'm saying there? I stand shoulder-to-shoulder with people I can agree with. I stand toe-to-toe with people that stand against what I believe in. He says, one body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, if you want to go read that, he gives a great, just a summary of what that looks like. One spirit, having been drawn together as one body in Christ Jesus, we've been given one spirit. That ought to create unity in us. Same spirit lives in me, lives in you. That's what the Bible says. And because you have the innate Spirit of God, the magnificent, beautiful, wonderful, all-empowering Spirit of God living in us, we should be able to get along. One Spirit. John 6, 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, <clears throat> the flesh profits nothing. Romans 8, 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We have to be about the things of the Spirit because we are all of the same Spirit. Not just one hope, or not one Spirit, but also one hope. That Spirit that we're all the same of is our deposit. It seals us and confirms us. It's a pledge of our inheritance according to the Word of God. I have a singular hope. And that singular hope says that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Not because of my own work, but because of the work that God did in me. And the Spirit of God confirms and establishes that hope in me. Amen? If you don't have the same hope in you, it's because you haven't made the same declaration. And if you haven't made the same declaration, then you don't have the same Spirit, and we can't be unified. Everybody okay? 
I'm just trying to make sure everybody understands what, what a unified church looks like. One Lord. Man, this is so, this one's obvious. Jesus. I don't care what you say, what you do. I don't care how good a person you are. I don't care how much money you give away. If you don't declare Jesus Christ as Lord, we can't be unified spiritually. Now, I can, I can talk to you. We can be nice, but we're not, we're not unified and won't be. Why? Because there's only one name under heaven. That's the truth of the Word of God. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. I'm going to say that again. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Only Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you can't get to heaven. You can't get to the Father except through Him. Pastor Jim, I just I want to love them, even if they don't believe what I believe. Love them. You're supposed to love them. Love will open up a door so that you can tell them the truth. But I'm never going to share this pulpit with a, with a Buddhist. I can't. They don't have the same Lord I have. They don't, same spirit I'm of. We need to protect, totally off script, protect your ears and your eyes. So many of us just listen to whatever's on the television. Oh, that's good, preach it. He's preaching out of the Bible. No, he's preaching around the Bible. You better make sure that what he's saying is true. You better make sure what I'm saying is true. You're responsible for that. And then if what I'm saying is true, be unified with me. Whether you go to this church or another church, the church should be unified under these Ideas, these truths, one Lord, one faith. It's by grace through faith that we've been saved. Only faith in Christ Jesus and the grace that he extends us. You know the great thing about faith? This is my favorite thing about faith. All of us need it to be saved. It levels the playing field. It causes us to recognize that all of us come to the feet of the master as beggars with nothing but believing for everything. People are all, I don't want to talk to that guy because he doesn't look like me, or I don't want to talk to that person because they don't make the same money I have or they're a different color than I am. Let me tell you, faith levels the playing field. You didn't get what you've got on your own merits. You've got it through by grace through faith, period. That's it. If you can't be unified under the fact that Jesus Christ gave you grace, and you accepted it by faith, you can't be unified. By faith. By one baptism. It's the expression and consequence of the faith that precedes it. And then finally, one God and Father. We are unified by one God and Father. And the Bible says in this text, who is over all, through all, and in all. That is, who has authority, who is intimately involved in our lives, and is in present in all situations. If we don't believe these things, if we can't act this way towards one another, we can't be personally unified. If we don't believe these seven truths, we can't be congregationally unified. I desire a unified church.
God desires a unified church, an uncompromising church. I don't care what culture says. I got a text message today from a ministry we support. They said he had five friends today. Now, they're from all over the country. Five friends today get arrested by the DOJ and the FBI because they were willing to stand against abortion. They were criminally charged and brought to jail today. And now my friend said, I'm doing the same thing they're doing. I'd be foolish to think the same thing couldn't happen to me. You know how that happens? That's just an example. But you know how that happens? The church determines cultural relevance is more important than unity. I was at a, a teaching thing. It wasn't a teaching. It was like a gala a couple weeks ago. And the guy was talking about abortion. And he said, I'm just using this as an example of the sin that surrounds us. He says, every abortion clinic should have a sign in front of it that says, open by permission of the local church. Because at some point in the past, the church gave up its voice that made that possible. Because this used to be a, country, a, a Christian nation. And I wouldn't just say that about abortion clinics. I'd say that about strip clubs. I'd say that about bars. I'd say that about any place that cultivates sin. Open by permission of the local church because the local church has forgot what it means to be unified. Did you know if every church got together and said, not in our town, it wouldn't happen in our town. It wouldn't happen in our country. It's by the silence of the disunified that these things have happened, and we've been called to better. Amen?